Doctor, this is baseball and the Lone Star with St. Mary's play-by-play broadcaster Rob Shadow. Welcome, Lone Star Conference baseball watchers. My name is Rob Shadow, and this is episode two of Baseball in the Lone Star Conference. Thanks for joining us. I think we have a very interesting show on tap for you this week. The week of February 12, after two rounds of Lone Star Conference play have been completed. On this week's program, we have three excellent interviews ready to queue up for you. An interview with this week's Lone Star Conference Hitter of the Week, catcher Trip Clark of Angelo State. A conversation with seventh-year head coach Todd Holland of the surprising Arkansas Fort Smith Lions, who are in first place at 4-0 after a decisive sweep on the road against Oklahoma Christian. Arkansas Fort Smith finished 13-35 in conference play in 2023 and were picked to finish 13th and last in the Lone Star Conference in this year's preseason poll. A conversation with my friend Mike Capps, a 23-year baseball broadcaster with the Round Rock Express of the Texas League, who has had a very interesting baseball life indeed. After a 20-year career as a newsman for CNN and ABC, among others, Mike came back to baseball, his happy place, as a relief from post-traumatic stress disorder. He experienced covering world catastrophes, such as Gulf Wars 1 and 2, and the fiery end to the Branch Davidian siege in Waco. We will also return to what should be regular weekly features, baseball birthday shout-outs this week to third baseman Sal Bando and right-handed pitcher Johnny Cueto. A recap of weekend two results across the Lone Star, a personal baseball story of the ill-advised wager I made with my sister during game five of the divisional series in 2012 between the Cincinnati Reds and my San Francisco Giants. A look at the most recent national rankings in the Division II National Baseball Writers Association poll, and a preview of the upcoming matchups in Weekend 3 of Lone Star Conference play. This podcast is an independent production and not an official communication of either St. Mary's Athletics or the Lone Star Conference. Although this podcast is supported by both entities, the views expressed and any mistakes made are solely my own. I hope you'll give us a listen and let me know if you like our programming and send me any notes for other things you'd like to hear on Baseball on the Lone Star Conference. You can reach me by email at robbyshadow, all lowercase, at gmail.com. That's R-O-B-B-Y-S-H-A-D-O-W at gmail.com. So strap on your batting helmets and get ready for the first pitch of Episode 2 of Baseball in the Lone Star Conference. The Earth continued to rotate around the sun as life returned to some semblance of normalcy in weekend number two of Lone Star Conference play. Newsflash, Angelo State is still pretty good, even though they dropped nine spots in the national poll to number 10 in the country after their 2-2 two and two opening weekend in Portales, New Mexico against Eastern New Mexico University. They took the whooping stick to Cameron at home this past weekend, sweeping all four games by lopsided scores of 7-1, to 8-2, 15-3, and 24-1. And now they are back to number three in the national poll. The defending national champion Rams were led by Lone Star Conference Hitter of the Week, senior catcher Trip Clark of Waco, Texas, who blasted four home runs and drove in 13 runs on the weekend. They also received outstanding pitching performances from Dax Daith and Lone Star Conference Preseason Pitcher of the Year Braxton Pearson. Pearson pitched in better luck than in his first start, getting the win in Game 1 of this past series, throwing seven complete innings, giving up only five hits and one run, 
walking nobody and striking out eight. Dath won his second game of the season going five innings, yielding only three hits and one run while striking out ten. There was one other undefeated team last weekend, the surprising Arkansas Fort Smith Lions, who swept Oklahoma Christian by a combined tally of 49-9. They were led by senior second baseman Noah Davis, who hit 556 on the weekend, and Lone Star preseason watch list player outfielder Michael Brenton, who hit 467 with five RBIs. The Lions were picked to finish 13th and last in the conference this year, and their own coach Todd Holland, who we'll hear from later in the podcast, picked them to finish 10th. But that's why we play the games. You never really know. This will be the last year in the Lone Star Conference for the University of Arkansas Fort Smith as they move to a conference where their bus rides will average four and a half hours per weekend instead of eight and a half hours as it is currently. In the series between West Texas A&M and Texas A&M Kingsville, the Buffaloes, currently ranked fourth in the national poll, took three out of four from the Javelinas in Kingsville, losing game one six to four, but taking the next three in a row, three to two, four to three, and 11 to one. Reese Miller picked up his second save of the season with two innings of hitless relief in Game 2. Ryan Camacho hit the game-winning triple in Game 3, and Tay Felluangzi was the pitching star of Game 4, striking out two batters with the bases loaded in the first extra inning, the eighth, to win the game. He also picked up the save in Game 3, hurling three innings of scoreless relief. Third baseman Seth Ochoa led the way in the 11-1 Game 4 offensive onslaught, striking three hits and scoring three runs. Center fielder Dalton Kramer was the hitting star of game one for the Javelinas with three RBIs. One other team went three and one on the weekend, the impressive UT Permian Basin Falcons, who have won both of their series this season, taking three out of four from St. Mary's in weekend one and three out of four from previously undefeated Lubbock Christian this past weekend. Lubbock Christian took the first game 9-7 in Lubbock behind four scoreless innings from Colson Abel, a sophomore from Kerrville, who is a transfer from Division I powerhouse Texas Tech. Having Texas Tech in their backyard certainly helps the Chaparrales, as last week's hitter of the week, Ryan Ball, is also a transfer from Texas Tech. The Falcons' Clayton Coates was a hitting star in the Game 2 8-5 Permian Basin win, cranking out a bases-clearing double and driving home four runs. In the Game 3-1, the Falcons battled back from an 8-2 deficit and were led by Mason Hamlin's two hits and three RBIs. The Falcons secured the series victory Saturday with a 14-10 slugfest win, paced by Brevin McCool's home run and six RBIs. The matchup between Eastern New Mexico and Texas A&M International resulted in a 2-2 series split. In Game 1, Lone Star Conference Pitcher of the Week Isaac Ponce was extremely stingy in the 8-5 win, going seven innings and giving up only one earned run on two hits, walking just one and striking out eight. Game two went to the Greyhounds 10-7, led by junior outfielder Bo Preston of McKinney, Texas, who had three hits and four RBIs. The Greyhounds also took the nightcap of the doubleheader 2-1 in a fantastic pitching duel between Jan Cabrera of Texas A&M International and Ruger Bravo of ENMU. Both pitchers threw seven-inning complete games, Bravo gave up only four hits and one run, walking two and striking out six. Cabrera was the hard luck loser. Third baseman Avian Medina had a home run and four RBIs to get the series split for the Dust Devils on Sunday in the 7-4 win. The series between UT Tyler and St. Mary's also ended in a 2-2 split. The first three games were taut and very well played, with the Rattlers taking game one 3-2 on a walk-off hit-by-pitch of senior Easton Parish of Lavernia, Texas, with the bases loaded in the seventh. 
In game two, the Rattlers could not recover from a six-run second inning, although they did, they did put the tying run on base in the seventh before going down to defeat 6-5. to five. Nick Niebuhr was throwing darts 95 miles per hour to get the save. The Rattlers came back to win three, game three on Saturday, 6-4, to four, with sophomore starting pitcher Caleb Ghana of Hondo, Texas, firing the first four innings, yielding only one hit and one run. And second-team all-conference closer senior Andrew Girard getting the save. The Patriots broke out of their season-long slump on Sunday, winning 17-8, jacking four home runs into the 15-mile-per-hour jet stream. Four different players went yard. Preseason Lone Star Conference watch list right fielder Kasten Mason, second baseman Lane Hutchinson, catcher Blake Labuda, and left fielder Kyle Atkinson, who hit three home runs on his weekend. The Rattlers then won their midweek game 10-3 against Our Lady of the Lake with an eight-run sixth inning, propelled by a grand salami off the right center field scoreboard by sophomore Garrett Brooks of Spring Branch, Texas, a Division I transfer from UTSA. So after two weekends of round-robin play, there was one undefeated team left in the conference. First place, Arkansas-Fort Smith at 4-0, followed by the most impressive Buffaloes at West Texas A&M at 7-1. Angelo State and UT Permian Basin are tied for third place at 6-2. St. Edwards is in fifth place at 3-1. They had the conference by this weekend, but played two home non-conference games against Colorado State University Pueblo, dropping both of them 5-1 and 12-11. Lubbock Christian is alone in sixth place at 5-3. Tied for seventh at 4-4 four four are UT Tyler and Eastern New Mexico. St. Mary's is in ninth place at 3-5, and, and there is a three-way logjam for 10th place between Texas A&M Kingsville, Texas A&M International, and Oklahoma Christian, all at 2-6. And, and at the bottom of the table, a bagel and eight are the Cameron Aggies. And now it's time for a Rob Shadow personal baseball story. As a lifelong San Francisco Giants fan, I had to wait almost a lifetime for a World Series championship, 47 years to be exact, and then my Giants struck gold three times in five years, winning World Series titles in 2010, 2012, and 2014. They only got one with Willie Mays in 1954 in New York, and none with Barry Bonds, although they got tantalizingly close in 2002 with Dusty Baker at the helm before he offended the baseball gods. But they did win three in five years with their surefire first ballot Hall of Fame catcher, Gerald Demp Buster Posey, the humble country boy from Lee County High School, Georgia. This story is about one moment supplied by Buster Posey during their championship run in 2012. Buster Posey, how do I love thee? The Giants were favored in the divisional round against the Cincinnati Reds, against their former manager Dusty Baker. Many Giants fans have never forgiven Dusty for what happened in Game 6 of the 2002 World Series against the Los Angeles Angels, when the Giants lost a five-run lead in the seventh inning, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Shall we say that Dusty got out ahead of his skis? He thought he had it in the bag. With that five-run lead, he walked to the pitching mound, to take the ball from his starting pitcher, Russ Ortiz, for a job well done. The Giants needed only eight more outs for the World Series championship, but Dusty didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't take the blasted ball from Russ Ortiz. He wanted Ortiz to have a souvenir for winning the deciding game of the World Series. So instead of taking the ball from Ortiz and sending him on his way to the shower and giving the ball to the next pitcher, as is customarily done, 
Dusty gave the ball back to Ortiz to carry it with him as he walked back to the dugout. You just don't do that as a baseball manager. The baseball gods were rightly offended and punished the Giants. They squandered that lead, lost game six, then lost game seven and the World Series. That core of players, Barry Bonds, Jeff Kent, J.T. Snow, never got any closer. Dusty finally got his title in 2022 of the Astros and walked into the sunset. But the Giants went into a tailspin after 2002, a total rebuild, and got so bad they were one of the worst teams in baseball by 2007, earning rights to the fifth overall choice in the 2008 amateur baseball draft. But then they got lucky. The four teams in front of them passed on Buster Posey, the best collegiate player that year at Florida State. Tim Beckham, Pedro Alvarez, Eric Cosmer, Brian Matus, anyone? The first four guys selected. Nah, I think I'll take Buster Posey. Buster Posey is the aw shucks natural from Central Casting. He was a star shortstop and pitcher in high school and continued at those positions during his freshman year at Florida State, batting 346. Florida State lost their starting catcher during Buster's sophomore year, and his assistant coach asked Buster to do the unthinkable, don the tools of ignorance, the catcher's equipment, and move behind the plate, a position Buster had never played, even in Little League. But he readily agreed to help his team and became the best catching prospect in baseball. After the Giants drafted Buster in 2008, they could not keep him down and promoted him to the show for good in June of 2010. They traded away their veteran starting catcher, Benji Molina, and Buster led them to their first world championship since 1954, winning the Rookie of the Year award and finished high in the MVP voting, even though he only played two-thirds of that season. But Buster's career was almost ended in May the next year, 2011, after a crushing collision at home plate with the Florida Marlins' Scott Cousins. On a sacrifice fly play, Cousins was coming full steam from third base, and Buster was blocking the plate, as catchers were taught at the time. It was a ghastly collision and a ghastly injury. Posey's fibula was fractured, and he also tore ligaments in his ankle. Some thought his career would be over. Major League Baseball changed the rules, now known as the Buster Posey rule, to require catchers to allow base runners a clear path to home plate and to prevent base runners from mowing down catchers to score. Some old-school baseball people hate this rule, but if you have any doubt, just watch a YouTube video of that collision. Buster came back, of course, in 2012, or I would not be telling this story. He came back with a vengeance, winning Comeback Player of the Year and Most Valuable Player, leading the league in hitting at 336 with 39 doubles, 24 home runs, and 103 runs driven in, leading the Giants back into the playoffs. So the stage was set. Down 2-0 and going on the road to Cincinnati for the last three games of the five-game divisional series, the Giants won games three and games four with a game five decider out in front of them. Win or go home and go fishing with Charles Barkley. The only problem for me was that game five was being played in the middle of the afternoon, and I had to work that day, real work. And I wanted to watch the game with my sister Lynn. So we entered a solemn pact. Cell phones off, televisions off, radios off, no calls to our dad, Big Lloyd, who'd be watching in real time in San Francisco while we recorded on TiVo in San Antonio. We wanted to watch this game together and not spoil the drama of a game five. I raced home from work that evening without even taking off my tie. We fired up the TiVo at 5.30 p.m. sharp. Matt Latos against Matt Cain, 
taut, tight game, great pitcher's duel. Earlier that year, Matt Cannon fired a perfecto, 27 up and 27 down, a game Buster said was the most nerve-wracking in his life. The Giants led 2-0, heading to the fifth inning in Game 5. They loaded the bases with just one out, and up to the dish strode their cleanup man, the sensational MVP Buster Posey. The Giants had a great bullpen that year, and I thought three runs would be plenty. But my sister wanted more. She said, come on, Buster, you can do it. Let's put the Reds and Dusty Baker out of their misery. Home run, please. No, no, I replied. You're being greedy. The odds against a grand slam are just too long. Just a sacrifice fly, Buster. Sound approach with the bases loaded. Oh, no, my sister said. I have a feeling. Grand slam. Impossible, I said. You will jinx Buster. Well, how much do you want to bet? I think Buster is going to do it, said Lynn. Okay, what odds do I need to give you? Always good for a baseball wager. Well, Rob, you just said it was impossible. I'll take 100 to 1. Okay, you got it. Your dollar, my 100, if Buster goes grand slam. We shook on the bet and waited for the next pitch. Called strike. Dang, two balls and two strikes. Buster needs to shorten up now and just put it in play. Lato set, kicked and delivered to the plate. Then that beautiful Buster uppercut swing. Long drive, deep to left field, back, back, back. Grand slam off the facing of the second deck. Buster Posey has delivered a haymaker, and the Giants are up six to nothing. No way, I said. My jaw dropped to the floor. Buster did it, Buster did it, my sister shouted. Pay up, brother. So I walked to the kitchen counter, got out the checkbook, and wrote the happiest $100 check I've ever written in my life. But just as I was signing my John Hancock, my sister erupted in gales of laughter. Oh, I got you, little brother. I got you. You can tear up the check. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You cheated. You knew. Not my fault, said Lynn. I didn't call Dad. He called me in the middle of the day, and before I could tell him to be quiet, he blurted out that Buster hit a grand slam. Oh, my sister is a wily one. She waited almost an hour and a half into the game before she pounced. Never let on that she already knew the outcome of that historic at-bat. I suppose the moral of the story is to never wage on a sporting event which has already happened. Number 28, their all-star catcher and certain first ballot Hall of Famer, has given me memories I will cherish for the rest of my life. Buster Posey, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. There are no commercial breaks in this podcast, but we do have baseball happy birthdays. The first, we celebrate February 13th in honor of Oakland A's all-star third baseman Salvatore Leonard Bando, born in 1944 and died just last January at age 78. Captain Sal, as he was known by his teammates, was a key team leader of the Oakland A's under Billy Martin. Team won three consecutive World Series championships, 1973, 1972, 1973, and 1974. Bando played his college ball at Arizona State alongside Reggie Jackson and had a 16-year major league career, hitting 246 lifetime home runs. His triple slash line for the career, 254 batting average, 352 on base, 408 slugging for an on base plus slugging of 760. Captain Sal had an exceptional batting eye at the plate, drawing more base on balls for his career than strikeouts. His best year was 1969, when he knocked 31 home runs, drove in 113 runs, and slashed 281, 400, 484. 
After his playing days were over, Bando worked in the front office of the Milwaukee Brewers and was their general manager between 1991 and 1999. Happy birthday and rest in peace, Sal Bando. Welcome to Baseball on the Lone Star Conference trip. Fantastic weekend, 8 for 13, four home runs, 13 RBIs, and the weekend series just completed. Did you feel like you were taking batting practice out there? I imagine it was a little tougher than that. No, sir. Um, I felt like I was just trying to stay simple and do what I did the week before because I felt like I had a good week as well, which was just see the ball well, see the ball deep, and be on time and try to take good swings at those pitches that they were throwing me. And I was I was surprised they kept throwing me, but I mean, we saw what happened. So it's I just I just stayed with my approach and stayed short, and that that was all that I needed. So, do you awesome. change your approach with runners in scoring position to try to get the RBI? Um, yes and no. If it's like a like a one like runner on third, one out, or less than one out kind of thing, I just try to do my job as quick as possible. I believe if you talk to most of our hitters at Angelo, it will probably say the same thing, or we should say the same thing. So I I try to shorten up my swing and look for any pitch that I can do my job with. So that might be hit a deep fly ball, that might be hit a ground ball up the middle, that might be hit a 45 hopper to second base. But if I can get that run in. That's what I'm trying to do. And we had an inner squad yesterday, and I felt like I took my worst swing of the day with one out runner on third, but it was a 45 hopper to second or to shortstop with infield in and it did the job. So that's what I'm trying to do every time. Whenever I get up to the plate with runners there, I just try to be simple, try to not do anything crazy, and just try to look for a pitch I can do my job with, which is get that run in because that's that's number one in my book. Do you like serving as a designated hitter or do you prefer to be on the field catching? I love catching. I, I hate DHing. Why is that? I mean, I, I had I was pretty good at it last year and that was my role. That was my role and that was what I, I focused on, but it's I've always hated it. I don't know what it is. I mean, last year it was a great opportunity for me to get on the lineup without being on the field. And we had a great catcher, Tyler, who is one of my best friends on the team. But and he he did a great job, Golden Glove catcher, threw out a lot of guys, just really great catchers. When I got in there, I think one game a weekend most of the time, I prefer to be on the field and be playing a position. I feel like it gets my mind off of at bats. If it's a bad a good at bats, I don't doesn't care. I'll think about that for as long as I want. Bad at bats, I like to get my mind off it and think about something else. And when I'm playing position, especially catcher, when I have to be 100% focused on the task at hand, which is making sure the ball doesn't get the backstop and making sure I just be there for him, make sure he's got a good target, make sure we're getting in the signs right, make sure we're holding that runner, just all that kind of stuff gets your mind off that at bat. And so you can just focus on that. And then when you come up to the plate in the next try, it's free, it's loose, and you're not you're not trying to make up for the last about you might try to like be like oh I might be a little more aggressive on this pitch first pitch if he gives me a good pitch but it's not like oh my gosh I swung on a change up never swing on a change up again you're not overthinking you're just playing the game which is how I like to play just loose and uh loose and free what was it about San Angelo and Angelo State that made you want to go play baseball there their belief in me and the coaching staff Kevin Brooks and Adam Foster and Sam Moat were relatively new at the time. Now they've been here for five years, just like me. But yeah, those guys and one of my teammates or my teammates at the time or my future teammates at the time, I guess. Every coach that I talked to in the state didn't have a bad thing to say about that coaching staff. And a lot of people commit to schools because of facilities or other things. But I mean, the coaching staff is what what trains you, what gets you ready, what puts you on the field. 
And I thought that was, that was paramount. And I, I really enjoyed talking to them and learning from them. And I felt like it made me a better catcher, better hitter, better person just by playing there. I, uh, I liked the school as well. It was very affordable and it really, it was just a really good opportunity for me. It was my only opportunity. And that was, that was exactly what uh, I wanted. And I just wanted someone that believed in me and they believed in me. And it's been five years since. What do you hope to be doing after you graduate with a master's this summer and this fall? I want to keep playing baseball as long as I can. I'll be at the MLB Draft League in this summer. That's up in Pennsylvania. I believe a couple of our Lone Star Conference alums have played in that last year, played in the year before. I'm trying to do that and trying to pursue my my dream. Play at the next level after this one. And that's, that's what I'm going to try to do. And if not, get a job with an accounting firm and then uh, get my CPA accreditation. Thank you so much, Trip Clark, Lone Star Conference Hitter of the Week, Week 2. And here's the National College Baseball Writers Association poll for the week of February 14th, 2024. Number one of the country, Tampa at 6-0. Number two is Greenville at 6-1. Angelo State back up to number three, 6-2. Central Missouri is fourth at 6-2. Indianapolis hasn't played yet, still ranked fifth in the country, followed by Millersville, West Florida, Point Loma, UNC Pembroke, Cal State San Bernardino, number 10, Colorado Mesa out of the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference, number 11, Southern New Hampshire, 12, Quincy, 13, Missouri Southern, 14, Lynn University, 15, Young Harris, 16, Seton Hill, not Seton Hall, 17, Franklin Pierce, 18, West Texas A&M out of the Lone Star Conference is 19th, Central Oklahoma, 20th, St. Leo is 21st, Lenore Rhyme, 22nd, Northwood, Cal Poly, Pomona, and Rollins round out the 25. Another mention at number 30, UT Permian Basin. My special guest on this edition of Baseball in the Lone Star Conference is Mike Caps, two times minor league broadcaster of the year, 23 year play by play voice for the Round Rock Express, veteran CNN world correspondent, baseball author, and a man who encouraged me in my own second career as a baseball broadcaster. Welcome to the program, Mike. Thanks for spending some time with me tonight. You know, I'm lucky to have puppies like you all over the country. People who <laughs> wanted to talk, wanted to sit down, wanted to bend my mind about why I jumped out of the news business and, and into baseball. And you were one of those guys. And I really appreciate you. And I really appreciate the couple of dozen or so who've done that on their own. And that's a gutty thing to do for, uh, I was older. I was 45 when I jumped out of the news business. I've been in it 25 years. It just made sense to do it. The late Red Murph, the scout who discovered Nolan Ryan had also scouted me in high school in Juco. And we wrote a book and that got me started. It's just been a joy ride. I mean, I did four seasons of independent ball. I had over 400 games under my belt, when I arrived in Round Rock, they actually hired me in 98. They didn't start until 2000. They hired me in 98 at the winter meetings because of Jay Miller. Mm -hmm. Jay Miller was a longtime friend of mine. The coach at UTSA is a longtime friend because he played against us, playing for Wichita in the Texas League, in the Texas League Finals in 2000, Pat Hallmark. Oh yeah, I, I was. I spent two years covering UIW when he turned that program around. Well, and he's he's a great coach, but he's a better human being. And, and we have had some marvelous visits since 
I, I did like eight games for them last year. And then it just, uh, it, this thing sort of blew up and we're, we're I think we're going to do 30, 35 games for them this year. And I, I'm really excited about that. A, because I love doing baseball games. If you woke me up at 3 a.m. by 4.30, I, if you gave me some notes, I'd be ready to go. It's, it's a blessing. You know yeah, what a yeah. blessing it is to do this? Oh, it's, it's, it's just out. so much fun. It's so much fun. Oh, it is. I, it's, I love it's, it. I love it's it. riotous. What can you tell our listeners about Pat Allmark's qualities, which make him such a good manager? Because he's been successful basically everywhere he's been. Pat understands the analytics, uses them when it's time, and he really can pick kids. And once they buy into him, they're his. And I really am excited to watch this season develop for Pat. He's, he's basically, in some, in some ways, I think he has maybe three or four starters offensively and maybe four or five pitchers. So it's it's not exactly a rebuild, but in a certain sense it is because he's got, he's got a lot on his hands. UTA is going to have a great hitting team when they come in there this, this coming Friday for four games in three days. And it'll be, that'll be a good matchup to start the season with. And Pat's up for it, man. He's an in-your-face guy, but he is a caring kind of guy as well. So that's that's a good combination to me for a college baseball coach. Do you have a favorite baseball movie, one that you think almost gets it right? <laughs> Gee whiz. If you put me in front of the television, in front of League of Their Own, I could watch that movie five times a day and not be bored. Because I always... <laughs> Because it's so much like independent ball that I started in. And I started with it. old Tyler Wildcatters in the now way defunct Texas-Louisiana League. And it was that kind of travel, that kind of atmosphere, old beaten up ballparks that they refurbished and turned them into what I thought were palaces. I didn't know the difference. And then the second year that I'm broadcasting, I'm working in Nashville, with a longtime friend, Steve Selby, for the Nashville Sounds. Then a year after that, I'm doing fill-in major league games for ESPN Radio. And then the next year, away I go to Round Rock. What a deal. What yeah, a blessing. Yeah. Going back even earlier, Mike, as a child growing up, I- I'm sure you played other sports. What was it about the sport of baseball that captivated you? My grandfather, when I was six, seven, eight years old, he started taking me to the old ballpark in Dallas across Trinity River from downtown Dallas called Burnett Field. And there's a million stories about that. But he showed me that people could make a living doing that. And people were proudly making a living doing that. And the second book I wrote, Grinders, Baseballs, Intrepid Infantry, which came out in 22, was based on those very trips, seeing these guys Oh, the trips uh, you took with your grandpa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out to that ballpark and sometimes five, six, seven nights in a row. And a quick story about that. We're, we're at Burnett Field and the Dallas-Fort Worth Rangers, who were the AAA affiliate, I believe, of the Kansas City A's in those days, were playing the Minneapolis Millers, the Red Sox. And the beautiful thing about that was in those days, everybody took infield, everybody took outfield, and everybody had BP before the game. Well, they're hitting balls in the outfield, and this left fielder, my grandfather stands up, looks at me, and he said, you're going to hear about him one day. And it was Carl Yastrzemski. 
You've had uh, a lot of contact working uh, with the Ryan family. You've, you have to have some great Nolan Ryan stories. You did a documentary on him. What can you tell our listeners about uh, Nolan Ryan that they might not already know? Nolan's got a million stories. And for me to start, it would take 17 shows for me to get the ones that I know. But I'm going to tell you one that I thought was funniest, funniest. I hurt for a week after I laughed about it. We won the Texas League Championship in 2000. 2001, we're in the playoffs. And then playoffs ended because of 9-1-1. In 2002, we're in the playoffs. 03 may have been, you know, God bless them. They busted their backsides. We were 20-50 and 50 in the first half. And we equal that in the second half. Uh, so we we're 40 and 100. Okay. Ouch. So one night after the first half was over, we were back from Little Rock. We got torched. I mean, it was like, it looked like one team was running a track meet and the other was eating some pancakes. Okay. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you get the picture. So I'm walking to my car and I hear Ruth, Mike, Mike, stop, stop. So Ruth and Nolan walk over. Nolan puts his arm around my shoulders. Ruth puts her arm around my waist. Nolan says, I don't know who has the worst job. Jackie Moore trying to manage that crap. Are you talking about it? Last question, Mike, on a more solemn note. What was it that got you out of the newsroom and into the baseball broadcast booth? PTSD is very real mm-hmm. so i had covered police news in houston when i was in my early 20s for six years you have no way as a human being and i don't know how uh firefighters cops anybody who's in the trenches and who sees blood and guts day in and day out i don't i don't know how they do it soldiers I'm really concerned about all these young people who are covering Ukraine and all the stuff going on in the Middle East. I'm really worried for their ability to handle this because they're they're day in and day out. And I was to a certain extent uh, during the original Gulf War, and that that sort of was that sort of led up to all this. But it took it took me 15 years to get over it. To get over it, and I say get over it. I don't think you ever really do. But 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 my safe place, my happy place, besides my home here in Austin in Northwest Hills, is any baseball broadcast booth I go into. Fantastic. And, and sit there when I sit there. I I send up a prayer every night. Thank you. I know the difference. I know the difference. I appreciate it more than I would have ever appreciated it had I taken a sports job out of Sam Houston State where I graduated. I want to thank you for what you did for me almost 10 years ago, not knowing me from the Ace of Spades, the Jack of Diamonds. You invited me into your broadcast booth at Round Rock and encouraged me to take the leap uh, into a second career, and I'm having a great time. So thank you for that, and thank you for uh, spending time with me tonight, Mike. Rob, you're a gentleman and a scholar, and anytime you need me, I'm here, partner. Time for our second baseball birthday shout-out, this one in honor of Johnny Cueto, one of the best pitchers in the National League during the 2010s. Johnny was born February 15, 1986, in that baseball hotbed, San Pedro de Macaris, in the Dominican Republic. 
Listed at 5'11", but probably only 5'8", Cueto's hero was fellow countryman Pedro Martinez, who showed that a pitcher small in stature could still be dominant in the major leagues. Cueto broke in with the Cincinnati Reds on April 5, 2008, and was perfect through five innings, eventually going seven strong, striking out ten, and winning three to two. He pitched eight years for the Reds, one year for the Kansas City Royals, where he was instrumental in winning the World Series in 2015 against the New York Mets, six years for the San Francisco Giants, and his last two years with the Chicago White Sox and Miami Marlins. Cueto threw five pitches with an incredibly distinctive windup in which he would turn his back completely to home plate and stop or shimmy midway through the windup. Some managers complained that the windup was illegal. Over the seven-year period between 2011 and 2017, of all major league pitchers with more than 750 innings pitched, he had the lowest earned run average of anybody not named Clayton Kershaw. Cueto's best year was 2014 with the Reds, when he won 20 games, had an ERA of 2.25, led the league with 242 strikeouts, and finished second in the Cy Young Award balloting. He has a lifetime record of 144 and 111, with an ERA of 3.50 in 16 MLB seasons. Johnny still thinks he has gas left in the tank and wants to catch on with a Major League Baseball team in 2024. So if you know any team that needs pitching, tell them to call Cueto. Happy birthday, birthday number 38, Johnny Cueto. My special guest on Baseball in the Lone Star Conference podcast is Todd Holland, seventh-year head coach of the University of Arkansas Fort Smith Lions. Todd has over 500 career victories at the NCAA level at both Cameron and Arkansas Fort Smith. Also a great player in his day, hitting over 400 and was an all-Lone Star Conference player in his two seasons at Cameron. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Thank you for having me. Your team had an absolutely great weekend going on the road in your first games of the season after everyone else had played one weekend and sweeping Oklahoma Christian. And only one game was close, 8-6, 14-1, 15-0, and 12-2. It looked like your team played very well in all three phases. Did the Lions, could they do no wrong last weekend? Oh, no, it was, it was a good weekend. We pitched really well. We threw strikes. And, you know, when you got a 15-run support, it's kind of easy to pitch in any environment. I mean, I think I could have went out and threw and maybe caught a win with 15 runs behind me. We did things a little different this year as far as I didn't go into the portal and get any kids. All these kids, 97% are returners from last year's team. In the beginning of the year, I, my speech was, you know, I'm going to prove we can do this with the returners. You don't have to go out and buy a team or, you know, try to get on that board. So we just kind of, you know, we made some adjustments. We did some things different this fall. And, you know, one weekend doesn't make a whole season. But, I mean, we looked really good last week. And so, I mean, it's exciting. And, you know, we're going to get punched in the mouth soon. We'll find out how we react to it because so, some teams can't respond well when they get hit in the face. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your decision not to uh, focus a lot on the transfer portal this offseason. Was that more that you want to develop your own players over the course of more than one or two years or because you thought you had the talent that could really improve this year? No, I mean, I tell people all the time is, you know, it's different at our level because probably 97%, 99% of the kids aren't playing professional baseball after this. And so my job is not only to make them a better player, but to graduate them. Well, people don't realize, you know, if you transfer after your junior year, you still probably need, you know, I've seen seniors transfer 
they were two hours short of graduating from the university they're transferring from where they have to go take 30 hours to graduate in the next place. And so as coaches, I want to make sure these kids graduate. And so, you know, when I talk to them and bring them here, I'm the one that recruited them. So I need to make sure I do my job and get them graduated. Two of your players were selected as preseason Lone Star players to watch, the pitcher Jacob Petrus and the outfielder Michael Britton. What are your hopes and expectations for them this year? I mean, Mikey has all the tools. You know, last year he hit 10 home runs, hit two, 250 or something along those lines. But, you know, he struck out a lot. And he opened up the season this week with four punch outs opening night. But then day two and three, he carried us. I think he went seven for eight on the weekend. And he ended up getting his average back up there. And Jacob, you know, Jacob and Mikey have both been with me for two. Jacob's been with me for four years. He's just grown into a big time threat on the mound. He throws five pitches for a strike. And hopefully he can, he gets a little overworked up when things don't go his way. But he had a little adversity this weekend when we were tied 6-6. And he, we scored two runs on two solo home runs and you know he shut it down the next inning he walked a guy we got an out walked a guy and then we got recorded two outs right behind it and so he did a really good job this weekend another player i think i saw in san antonio perform really well last year and it looks like he had a great start noah davis uh what position is he playing this year and what are you hoping for from him you know, I tell people if Noah was six foot two, he'd be a first round draft pick. He just plays so hard. He's playing second base. He's hitting in the two hole. And he probably should have got player of the week. He hit five sixty nine on the weekend and you know He's just the spark plug. He's tough mentally. He was really good his freshman year. He hit 344 for us. Uh, was first team all-conference freshman, I believe. And then last year, he kind of got in a blender. What's your pitch for telling a player why he should advance his career and come to play for you at Arkansas Fort Smith? I mean, we've had some very successful seasons here. 2018, we were one game away from the World Series. 2019 was our better team. We had a little adversity at the end there. 2020, COVID hit. And then, you know, we jumped into the Lone Star, and it's kind of been an uphill grind for us. But I, I tell people all the time, if you want to play in the best conference in the United States division, it's the SEC of baseball, the Lone Star Conference, as far as the, the teams and, you know, the quality of competition that you're going to get. And, you know, we've had probably seven to eight players drafted out of this conference every year and so that's why I try to explain to guys is like if you want to go play at the next level if you can perform at this conference you'll have a great shot playing at the next level. Thank you so much coach that was Todd Holland of the surprising Arkansas Fort Smith Lions. 12 of the 13 Lone Star Conference baseball teams are in action in weekend number three with a bye going to Oklahoma Christian. Several excellent matchups are on the Lone Star Conference docket. The 3-1 Hilltoppers travel to Canyon, Texas to take on 7-1 West Texas A&M Buffaloes, currently ranked number 19 nationally. 3-5 St. Mary's travels to Fort Smith, Arkansas to do battle with the undefeated Lions, who are in first place in the conference at 4-0. A great matchup in Odessa this weekend with the two teams tied for third place, the 6-2 Angelo State Rams against the 6-2 UT Permian Basin Falcons. In Portales, New Mexico, the 4-4 four four Eastern New Mexico University Greyhounds will host the 2-6 Texas A&M Kingsville Javelinas. The 6th place Lubbock Christian Chaparrales at 5-3 travel to Tyler, Texas to play the 4-4 four four UTT Patriots. And 0-8 Camera tries to break into the win column at home against the 2-6 Dust Devils of Texas A&M International. Thank you for listening to Episode 2 of Baseball in the Lone Star podcast. 
and thanks to our executive producer, Zach Ramirez. May all of your line drives draw chalk down the baseline and always pleasant baseball dreams. Play by play on the radio. Play by play. Back, 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 back. He makes a one-handed catch against the bullpen. 